Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. What's up, everybody? It's Matt Johnson. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Level Up Podcast, where we learn how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And we have a killer guest with us today, Kyle Whistle, leader of the number one team in San Diego, four years running, and recently announced as the number one video influencer in all of North America by BombBomb, so the number one video influencer. <laughs> and so we've got a bunch of fun stuff to get into today. We're going to talk about the journey to 400 plus deals a year, and then what it takes to get to 1,000 deals a year, and who better to have that conversation than with than Greg Harrelson himself, who has uh, eclipsed that by about two and a half times. Greg, how are you today? Man, I'm doing uh, I'm doing awesome. As you know, I'm fresh off of a vacation, so got a lot mm-hmm. of energy. Uh, I can tell I Kyle's got a lot of energy, too. Tan. I don't know if you can get more tan, but you somehow managed to go a place where you've got more yeah, tan. I, I tell possible? you, I went a shade darker this time this last week, but <laughs> I can tell you right now, my shoulders are peeling. So I mean, I got really? you know, I, I got I'm I'm jacked up when it comes nice. to my shoulders and chest right now. Always fun to throw on a nice sports coat on top of a sunburn. <laughs> that, that sounds fantastic. That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, next, let's bring in Kyle Whistle. Kyle, how's it going today? Oh man, I'm on a cloud nine right now, my friends. Just living the life. <laughs> well, we do live in San Diego. It's hard not to. But uh, specifically, why are you on cloud nine? Um, just. You know, the Wall Street Journal rankings came out recently and we retained our position as number one in San Diego, which was really cool. Um, And not only did we get it for number of home sales, but we also got it for dollar volume of home sales, which is pretty rad because in San Diego, we have a really strong luxury market and those luxury agents tend to beat us when it comes to the volume. Um, But it's pretty cool to win for both units and volume. It's the first team that's ever done it in San Diego, which is pretty rad. Which, by the way, quick aside on that, did you guys change anything as part of the strategy to increase your volume? Did you start taking more luxury listings? The biggest thing is we just re didn't change our brand name, but just changed our brand image. And so we had a company come in and just redid all of our marketing materials, really classed everything up, changed the colors, the look, the feel, and now everything's super consistent. So from the business cards to the flyers, to the folders, to the name tags, everything has that same luxury, consistent look across the board. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. And then give people an, uh, kind of an idea, just the overview, um, number of size, volume, and kind of the, the layout, the structure of the team. Yeah, for sure. So last year in 2017, we did 374 transactions, uh, broke 200 million for the first time, finished a little over 205 million. And here in 2018, we're halfway through the year. We've already surpassed 100 million this year. So we're trending to, you know, meet and ideally beat what we did last year. We're really shooting for a quarter billion this year. Sounds way cooler than 250 million. So Hmm. quarter billion is really that number that we've targeted this year. And that's what um, we've got our sights set on. And uh, yeah, our company, we've got the majority of our company is our true team, people where we provide all the leads, the systems, all of that. Um, We've also got the group side of what we do. And those are people who are still doing the training, the coaching, and the support and all of that, just not paying for the systems and the leads for those guys. But we all function as a team. We all help each other out. We all work as a team and do team nights together and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So the, and Greg, you and I have talked about this before. It's kind of the the team within a team type of model, which is, which is a hard kind of, it's a hard thing to bridge, right? Because you've got, it's a different level of service and attention and, uh, and leadership that you're giving to like your core group of people. And then you have this circle of people around the outside that don't necessarily participate, need, or may not even want that 
from you. So, I mean, you've got a similar dynamic going on. So what, before we get into some of the other stuff on the mentality, just, is there anything for people that are in that same situation of running a team within a brokerage, any suggestions or tips for them? Um, the key is just culture is everything. That's the biggest lesson I learned. The year I had my big leap where we went from 82 deals to 242 deals was the year we figured out culture. When I started this whole thing up, I was hiring anybody and everybody. I was just trying to fill up seats. I got this big office and a bunch of computers and desks, and I needed people to sit at them. And so I had okay. people anywhere from 18 to 118 years old in the office. And mm-hmm. while somebody 118 can still be successful, they just weren't a fit for our culture. Um, you know, we're young, we're super tech savvy, we're very big on prospecting. And so we were able to identify what our you know ideal fit is for our culture. Once we started hiring to fit that, that's when we really started to shoot through the roof. So knowing what your culture is first and then hiring to that culture. And sometimes you have to have people from the outside in tell you what your culture is because you don't even recognize it because you're so entrenched in it. So having somebody come in and observe for a little while, they can help you identify like, oh, this is you know what I see from my perspective. Um, so that helps out a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's that's not a hard. That's it's not an easy thing to get a hold of. Um, there's a great book that I ran across recently that might help people identify what that is uh, called "The Hero and the Outlaw." If that sounds familiar to anybody, it's a, it's actually a branding kind of brand archetype uh, book to help you kind of figure out what your presence is in the marketplace. But it 100% applies to internal culture and the type of people that you attract. And it's it's really good at identifying like what you stand for to other people and explains why you resonate with certain types of people and don't resonate or don't blend with like oil and water with other people and how to get more intentional about how you present yourself so you attract the right people. It's really, really good. Nice. Um, okay. So let we're going to talk about let me, let me take yeah. you back on this a little bit, Matt. Let me just take it one layer um, uh, uh, further. Is I think one of the things that, that Kyle is demonstrating here is he's very clear on the value that he brings for that group of agents that are not necessarily totally on his team getting mm-hmm. all of his leads, right? So there's that group and then there's the other group. And and I think where a lot of people make mistakes is people think that that model doesn't work, that you have to be one or the other. So I think people judge it as that's a good model, that's a bad model, that's not my model. And that is what I want to make sure the listeners understand is that's not true. The model does work. What doesn't work is the leadership in most models have no clarity as to the value that they have for each one of those individual groups. That's what I'm hearing Kyle say. He's talking about he's clear on his culture, right? Well, if you're clear on your culture and you're hiring to it, well, then he's also clear on the value that he's bringing, what he stands for, who he is, who the company is, who the team is for the respective agents, depending on where they where they sit within the organization. That's the challenge. It's not the actual model itself. Does it work? It's the leadership. And I seem to come back to leadership so often on this podcast. So hopefully people that are continuing to watch this over and over will get how important I think that part is. So congratulations, Kyle, for for figuring that out, because I think that's where you're winning, at least in the context of this conversation. For sure. And I want to add something to it. One of the coolest lessons I ever got from one of my coaches was he asked me, how much time and how much money do you spend 
on travel and education to learn how to generate more leads, how to convert more leads, those types of things. You know, and I threw out there $20,000 a year. And how many days do you spend on those things? And I was like, well, I go to this conference, this conference, this one, this one. He's like, okay, how much money and how much time do you spend on leadership? How many conferences have you gone to for leadership? How many of those events? How much time have you spent away? How much money have you spent going to leadership events? And I was like, shit, I haven't done any of that, right? It was a huge aha to me that we get so focused, you know, in the business and thinking about the next deal and the next lead source and this and that, but we don't spend enough time learning how to be better leaders. And so that's been a big thing for me is really focusing on leadership education and not just watching real estate focused podcasts and webinars, but also watching, you know, different types of things out there, just going on YouTube and typing leadership and just learning from all of that. Like Harvard Business Review, this is one of my favorite things is um, on Amazon Echo, they have those Alexa skills or your daily flash briefing. The Harvard Business Review has like a leadership tip of the day. That's gold. Like it's just a little 90 second tip about leadership. And what's cool is it gives you this little tip and it tells you what article they pulled that tip from. And so if there's a tip that really resonates with you, then you can go back and pull that article and read the entire thing. So we spend way too much time in this industry focusing on lead sources, conversions, scripts, all that crap, not enough time on leadership. And I think we all need to take a step back and realize like I went to 10 conferences last year learning how to do more business. And I went to zero on how to be a better leader. To be a big aha for a lot of people. Yeah. That's a great one. That is a great nugget. Thank you. Love it. And and Kyle, just quickly, speaking of leadership, you've got you've got a few positions, and some of them you've hired, you know, in the, uh, the last few years, and one one's more recent. So give us the idea. Like you're you're sitting on top of a leadership structure that's in between you and the agents. What does that leadership structure look like? So yeah, it's growing more and more, and a lot of it is going through some of this leadership training. There's a lot of self reflection that happens in understanding, just like we talked about, you need to know the culture of your team and the identity and who's a fit and who's not. You need to know that about yourself as well. And you've got to figure out who you are and what are your strengths. And you've got to play to your strengths and you've got to punt to your weaknesses. So um, kind of the order in which I've hired people through, you always start with the assistant, right? Like if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. That's always stuck with me from day one. Um, next up, we hired a transaction manager just to handle everything from contract to close. We now have two of those. Um, we hired an operations manager. So that person handles all of the finances, all of the systems, all of the behind the scenes type of stuff on our company. We have a listing manager who handles everything from the time we sign a listing agreement to the time that goes under contract. They hand that over to the transaction manager. Um, we've got a sales manager, which is one of my most recent hires because I started getting to the point where an agent would set their goal and say, I'm going to knock 200 doors this week. Cool. And then they check in the following week. How did it go with your door knocks? Oh, I didn't get it done. Okay. Well, how many doors did you knock? Zero. What? Like, I don't even know how to comprehend that. It doesn't even click in my brain. Like if you said you did like 70 or 80, okay, well, we can work on that. But when you did zero, like, what do you mean? You said you're going to do 200 and you did zero. Like, I can't have that conversation anymore. Like it just doesn't click in my head. I knew I had to hire somebody else to have that before I just lost my mind completely. So sales manager can now sit down with them and say, Hey, looks like we missed the mark a little bit here. Let's get out there and knock those 200 doors. I'll do it with you. So bringing somebody in who cannot just identify the problem, but can actually go 
and address the problem and help them. So if he sees somebody struggling with their door knocking, he'll go freaking door knock with them. If he sees they're struggling to get on the phone and prospect, he'll sit there shoulder to shoulder and prospect with them. So that was one of our biggest hires recently. Um, and one that really helped us with earning the number one video influencer thing from BombBomb was we have a full-time media manager. All they do is photo and video, 40 hours a week. And that's actually become such a big thing for us. We have two of them now. So I have two guys, 40 hours a week, just handling media and marketing for our company. Yeah, so lots awesome. and lots of staff. But the staff is, in my opinion, more important than the agents. Because if you have a solid staff, you really built a business, not just an agency. And, and with that business, you can plug people in. And if I lose an agent, it's not the end of the world. We've always got new agents coming through the system that we can plug them in because the system's in place. And I think the systems and the you know backside, the operational staff is almost more important than the agent. Too often we'd focus on the agent and then you lose one agent and your business is screwed. But we've got such solid staff that even if we, like we lost our top agent earlier this year, and we're on track to do more business than we were a year ago, even though we lost our number one agent because we've got the staff and the systems in place. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, we set it up and there's already been some really great nuggets just in kind of the setup of where where, where you're at, Kyle. So let's move on to kind of the strategy discussion. And Greg, I'd love to hear you jump in on this point. So, you know, you've, you've been in Kyle's shoes before. You've been in that exact sure kind of position that the exact level where he's at. So how do you how do you go about what's the thinking process? What are some of the things that you start to look at in terms of making the next big leap forward? You know, one of, one of the things that I would, you know, and he, he may already be doing this, but this one thing that comes to my mind is I start looking at the team, each one as an individual. Or I should say it, it really doesn't matter what the, the if it's the team or if it's other agents that are in my organization that I'm not going to call on my team. I'm going to I'm going to start breaking down every single one of those agents and I'm going to say I'm going to look at them I'm going to ask them what are their goals for the the next year as well as the 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 next year you know kind of go through a 3 to 5 year goal um but I'm not going to rely on their goals to to determine what my goals are but I am going to rely on their goals to give me an idea of where their minds are because you know you know they may tell me their goals 100 transactions and that's where their mind is. But I also know that the likelihood of them getting 100 transactions from 20 next year is really not likely. So I'm not going to put my company goals, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to let that, uh, you know, determine my company goals. But I want to check in with them, see where their mind is. Then I want to I want to put my coach's hat on and then I want to say, OK, their goal is 100. They're at 40 right now. If they did everything that we said they should do and we hold them accountable to it, what number will they realistically actually achieve? And I'm not saying realistic as I'm going to just try to, you know, uh, make it a low number so I can make sure I hit my goal. It'll still be a stretch, but I got to really check in with all my agents and find out what number as a leader can I really get them to. And then that's where I start to focus on helping having that influence my goal. Then I'm going to say, I'm going to make a list and say, what are the things that they currently do to get business? I bet all of them in San Diego are going to say that they do centers of influence. I bet that's going to be on everyone's list. But I bet some of them don't call expires. I bet some of them do open houses. 
So what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to take an inventory of, of the people in my office, and I'm going to make sure that I chart all the pillars, lead sources that are actually being worked. Then I'm going to take another chart, and I'm going to list all of the pillars, lead sources that I know exist. And let's just say within the organization, there's 20 that are being worked, but there's 200 that exist. Now, my job at that point is to go in and make sure that the 180 lead sources that are not being represented in my organization, I've either got to coach the current agents to add these pillars, or I've got to add team members to take on these pillars and make them their focus. So I see there's so much opportunity where the teams become, um, they're, they're not, maybe not one dimensional, but maybe they're only, you know, two or three dimensions to generating business and they keep working it, working it, working it, which I like that. I love optimizing. But when we start talking about going from to a thousand transactions, we have to be the masters of every pillar that exists in the market. We can't let our competition if, our, if, if we're looking at our competition, we say, our competition is crushing it in expireds, then I'm going to have 10 expired masters within my organization within the next 60 days. So not only am I going to improve our business and grow our market share by making sure that I'm now entering into that space, but I, what am I doing to my competition? I'm taking market share from them simultaneously. You know, so those are the, these are the things that I start thinking about right now, and I start charting it all out and planning it all out, and then I start plugging people in. But I'll go to my existing people first, because I think everyone should be able to work three to four different pillars. Everyone should be working centers of influence, so that's one. Somebody's not going to want to call expired, so they might not be one. So yes, you're not so, really violating the principle of focus for any one agent. You're not asking any one agent to master more than four no, lead generation no. pillars. You're talking about plugging specific people in to fill gaps in the market, but that individual agent, you would have them focus on just two or three pillars. It's different from what the other agents are focusing on. 100%. And there will be duplication. There will be yeah. multiple agents focusing on certain pillars, but as a company owner slash team leader, I got to make sure all 200 uh, pillars, lead sources are being worked on. And then I just, and, but, but I'm sure we're not there. Even in my organization right now, there's still some that are not being worked on. Open right. houses is an area where I have a hard time getting agents to buy into open houses. I believe open houses are, is a very good way of attracting business in today's economy, in today's market. But my agents have been so trained on outbound lead generation that Open houses is almost a conflict to how I've actually coached them and brought them into the business. So to get one of my existing agents to start an open house program is not going to be as easy than it is to recruit somebody in to an open house program. Well, yeah, and, and Kyle, you don't seem to have that issue. I mean, open houses are a big pillar for you, but you're also extremely outbound prospecting base. So how do you walk that line? What's the difference in your culture? Well, first, just before I dive into that, Greg, it's it's cool to hear you say this because I saw another person speak recently who's a 2,000 plus deal a year person. Um, and he had that same setup where he had a group that just went after senior communities specifically. He had a homes and land group that just went after that, um, a military group. And 
So it's cool to hear you say that and to hear this other person say that, because when I hear two people that I look up to and trust to say that, that's something I'm immediately going to take action on. So even though I'm the guest today, I'm going to learn from you (laughs) and uh, take some of that and implement it for sure. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, As far as us, like we, the open houses are really, um, there's like that in the holidays, tis the reason for the season. Like the open houses are the reason to do the prospecting. So everything is built around that open house. So when we launch a listing, we look at it much like when Hollywood launches a movie. Hollywood doesn't just decide on a random Friday like, oh, let's drop the new Avengers movie and hopefully everybody shows up. There's a big buildup to it. And I think agents don't build up to launching their listings like they should. It should be in a big event. And where Hollywood, they have the red carpet premiere, we have that same thing, but our premiere is that first open house and everything is built around it. So um, we kind of have a seven day launch that we do and it starts on Monday. Mondays, we mail invitations out to everybody in the neighborhood. And it's like a wedding invitation. It's not your typical like postcard or anything like that. It's a bright orange envelope. It's our company color, handwritten font, real stamp on there. Um, and then when they open it, it's a cardstock eight and a half by 11 opens up. I basically sent my designer. I was like, Hey, make me an invitation. That looks like this wedding invitation with the look and feel and everything. So they get, they get this very formal invitation, something they've never received before. Like most people have never received anything telling them about an open house other than a postcard. So when they get something in the mail, that's like a wedding invitation, like, Whoa, these guys are different. Like automatically we've already changed their perception of what an open house is and done something different than they've ever seen. Tuesday, we start running the social media ads. So we're super heavy on Facebook and Instagram. So those start running on Tuesday. Listing drops on the MLS on Wednesday, which then syndicates to Realtor, Truly, or Redfin, Zillow, all of that stuff. So if anybody's searching any of those portals, they're now seeing it. Thursday, we go around and door knock and or door drop the neighborhood. Just depends on the neighborhood, depends on the timing, all of that. But those go out on Thursdays. And then Fridays, we call, text, email everybody in the neighborhood. So we use Cole Realty Resource, C-O-L-E, to pull in all the data. And then we our ISAs just rip on that. And they call, text, email every single person. Because then what's great is when they're making those, they have a way higher probability of actually connecting with people because by the time they're making that call, the person's got something in the mailbox, seen it in their social feed. If they've been on any search portal, they've seen it and they've got something at their doorstep. So when they make that phone call, it's a little bit easier conversation because it's impossible for that person to not know about the open house already. But the open house is what gives us the excuse to knock the door. What gives us the excuse to make the call, gives us the excuse to run the ad, gives us the excuse to mail that piece. Um, So those go out on Friday. We typically do our premiere on a Friday night and it's all for the neighborhood. And then we do different themes, just depends on the neighborhood, the price point, the demographic. So if I'm doing something higher end, I've done like sushi and sake, wine and cheese. If I've done stuff in more like blue collar neighborhoods, we'll do pizza and beer, margaritas and tacos, that kind of stuff. Um, And we do that all on a Friday night and bring all the neighbors in. And I hear agents all the time say like, I don't want to do open houses. All I get are these nosy neighbors. Like, you idiots, nosy neighbors are called sellers. (laughs) You want the neighbors, the neighbors. I want nothing but neighbors to come in. Um, When we do the open house, we have one person working the doors, usually one of our ISAs who's in training to join our team. I have a buyer's agent and then me. And the ISA, the door signs everybody in. Did we use Spacio for that? 
Um, we used to use Open Home Pro, but we like Spatio better because it auto imports into our CRM. So it's just, I think, further ahead of the curve than Open Home Pro. Um, so when somebody comes in, the ISA, initially, they're just trying to qualify them, find out how do they hear about the open house and do they live in the neighborhood. And it's very simple. If live in neighborhood, send to Kyle. If they don't live in the neighborhood, send to whatever agent's with me. So that way, I'm focusing 100%. I know every single person I'm talking to lives in the neighborhood and is a future seller. And then my agent, everybody they're talking to is somebody who just saw one of the signs um, and they're a potential buyer for the property. So we always have at least three people working in one person at the door the entire time. They don't leave that door. Um, one, their Walmart has greeters for a reason. It just, you know, we walk in the door and it's like, Hey, how are you? Like automatically, like, Oh, okay. This is cool. Like you feel welcome. Um, two to sign everybody in. We don't want to miss any of those opportunities. And three, it's a safety thing. I mean, some of these houses we do are five or 6,000 square feet. You know, if I'm there alone, there's nobody at the front door. Somebody could walk in and out and grab a computer, grab a TV or whatever. So um, we do that Friday night. Then we do the public open house on Saturday. And then we start dialing on Sunday. And we dial on Sunday, not Monday, because what does every other agent do? They start dialing Monday. By that time, people have seen a ton of open houses. So by dialing on Sunday versus Monday, we set ourselves apart from everybody else out there as well who's waiting till Monday to make those follow-up calls. Because by the time they make the call on Monday, we already talked to them on Saturday, on Sunday and have an appointment set with them. Oh, gotcha. The follow-up calls off the open house. Yeah, the follow-up gotcha. calls. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. That's yeah, awesome so there, there was something there, Greg, that just right at the beginning uh, where he mentioned just that just the the all of the outbound prospecting is based around the open house. We talk about like why, how, how it's, you know, how do you get somebody that's outbound focused to do an open house? Well, it's, you got to show them how they can use the open house as the centerpiece of this strategy. And then you use that as the jumping off point for all this outbound prospecting, right? Yeah. yeah think I about mean, how easy that conversation is when it's like, Hey, it's Kyle. I wanted to invite you. We're going to have a fun party to launch this new listing in your neighborhood. We're going to have sushi and sake. It's really fun. You guys should come by. And then roll into, you know, your LP mom or whatever script it is that you're following. But that open is so easy. It makes it really a warm call at that point, as opposed to just your generic, you know, circle prospecting call. Yeah. I like it. Greg? Yeah, I think I mean, that's I fantastic. Writing it, curiously and thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some notes that I've got to, when I get off here, I got, okay, I'm going to ask my assistant <laughs> this, ask my assistant that, need to do this yeah. and whatnot. So, I mean, Kyle, thanks. I mean, thanks for the coaching here. I'm getting a, a good lesson. Um, but to go back to the conversation, it's like, you know, when we start talking about what's it going to take to get that 1,000 or 2,000 <laughs> or 3,000, um, it, it comes back down to that one open house system that he just shared, which is just so helpful for so many people, I'm sure, that are going to hear this. Um, now it's like, okay, what's the next system and the next system and the next system and the next system and the next system that has to be developed that deep? And um, and so whether it be an expired program or whether it be a for soba owner program or whether it be whatever it may be, that to me is one of the keys to getting to the next level to getting to the thousand when you're breaking the thousand, because there's not a lot of people really doing, you know, breaking that thousand barrier. And I think where they get hung up is they, they get hung up and say, well, I don't want to do open houses because you know what, when they were doing, you know, 30 transactions or 40 transaction as a single agent, maybe they didn't want to do open houses, but that's still thinking like an agent. When you start breaking through and want to think like an entrepreneur, 
then it's not a matter of what you want to do or not want to do. It's a matter of here is a segment of the business that's relevant. That's an opportunity for us to jump in and, and capitalize on. And I, again, that's a lot of people aren't doing it, but those that are doing it are the ones that are breaking through at the highest levels and the fastest. Hmm. So as, as, as people start to shift back into expires, um, remember the reason why expires will increase if, it, if they're increasing in your market, it's likely because the market is trending downward, whether it's a major uh, bust or whether it's a correction, whatever you want to call it. The market is likely trending downward and the current sellers are out of touch with reality of what the market is really at at that moment. Now, they may be out of touch because the agents themselves are out of touch and they're not educating the seller, which means that in a shifting market, if expired is going to be your pillar, then it's not the it's not the art of calling the expired that will make you successful. It'll be the art at being able to communicate that what you dream you're going to get, you're not going to get. In other words, you've got to be the, uh, an artist at being able to communicate why you're not going to get that price. Let me just tell you, you're not getting that price. Or you've got to be able to, to be able to share with them and have a compelling presentation that, that, that convinces them why they should take less. So when you're first moving into the expired business, because it's a shifting business, be prepared. You are going to be ridiculed because in, in order for you to sell expireds, you're going to have to reduce expireds, which you're going to be the first person in the market in the last six, seven years to actually tell them that they can't get that price and they should take less. And they're going to want to tell you to kiss off. Interesting. And so, so, and so, you know, be prepared to convey bad news because that's what it is. It's like you go into the doctor and they say, you know what, take this medicine and let's see if it works. And then you come in a month and you say, it no, it doesn't work. Okay, now I'm going to chop off your leg. See, the last agent says, yeah, let's price it here, see if it works. Yep. It didn't work. So then Kyle's going to come and say, I'm going to have to chop down your price. And Kyle's not doing it because Kyle thinks that this would be an easy way for him to make a commission. Kyle's doing it because he's an expert in the market and he knows taking $30,000 less today could prevent you from having to take $100,000 in six months from today. Now, the, the art in that conversation is does the person listening to you Think that you're using this as a sales strategy to make a commission or are you really advising them to actually protect them from losing a lot more? And I'll tell, you know, this last thing and then we can I'll, I'll be done with my little speech is in, in my market. When I went through this little spell, when there were no expires and then it got we got flooded with expires when the market busted, I was the villain of our market. My other agents would have expireds, I'd come in, take them for $30,000, $50,000 less in price, and I would sell them. And then the agents would say, oh, Greg's destroying our market. He's actually lowering the prices and you know, just to make commissions. What they didn't know is I was reading the market, looking at trends, and I knew how much the market was depreciating on a per-month basis. I knew what the carrying costs of what those condos were. 
So not only did I know what they were losing based on depreciation on a monthly basis, I also knew what they were losing in holding costs. And I said it would be smarter to sell at $50,000 less and be done with this than it would be to sit here and entertain selling in two years. If this trend continues, you'll lose $200,000. And I would say this line over and over again to sellers. I said, look, have you ever heard that song? You got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. You make your money on the fold. A good poker player does not make his money on the hold. They make their money on folding. They mitigate risk. They they take all their potential losses and they get rid of it as fast as they can. That's the conversation when the market shifts and your working expires. That's why so many people are working expires today because it's easy. Yeah, I'll take your listing, and yeah, that price is fine. Just needs to be marketed aggressively. They put it in the MLS, and they luck out just the timing. They lucked right. out, and the buyer tripped over at the right time. But in a shifting market, that doesn't work. So I just want to throw that out there because I 100% believe you, Kyle. That is something that we should all be focusing on. But when we start focusing on it, I would say master the art of communicating bad news. That's the script. It's not just calling the expires because there's more of them. It's it's actually converting expires by being comfortable conveying bad news. Well, yeah, and, and Kyle, I mean, obviously you've been through this, so I'm sure you're a master of it already because you've been through the last the last crash in San Diego. So it sounds like you're positioned to where if your team is comfortable outbound prospecting and you can train them on those scripts, you're positioned to take massive market share the next downturn we have because all the agents in San Diego that got their license in the last five, six, seven years that haven't been through that, they don't know shit about how to do that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to accept it either. The first yeah. time you go through a correction or a crash, you don't accept it until it's way too late. You know, we see that the correction's already starting. So we want to be ahead of that game where by the time these other guys realize we're in a correction, it's going to be 2019, maybe 2020. So, you yeah. know, back then we positioned ourselves by building relationships with the banks, with short sales and REOs. I don't believe we're going to see enough of a correction to bring that back like we did the last time, but I think we're going to see enough of a correction to bring back the expired market. Right. So that's what we're positioning. Yeah. So a, soft, a softening instead of a free fall. Correct. All right. And then Kyle, how do people, uh, how do people connect with you and learn more about what you're up to and how they can kind of join up with you? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, a big thing for us is we love to share. We love to give. We've been very blessed in our business and had a ton of success and we just want to share what we're doing that's helped us be that successful. So we've got a group on Facebook. It's called The Whistle Way. TheWhistleWay.com is a shortcut that'll drive you there. And we share everything, little snippets from our office meetings. We're sharing what tools and systems we're working with, just everything that we're doing. Um, a lot of people will ask me questions like, hey, what do you, you know, what camera do you use for this? Or what could, what does your postcard look like? What does that look like? I just tell everybody, ask that question in the group because if you've got that question, there's a lot of other people that have that question as well. And rather than answering every single person one by one, I'd rather just answer it once and everybody can learn from that. So thewhistleway.com, it's a great place where we just love to share everything we're doing here at Whistle Realty in San Diego. Nice. That's awesome. That's And that's a great outlet to do. That's a very unique use of a Facebook group and a really, really good, like solid, and like a very, very niche way to use one. So, uh, and then Greg, cool. same question for you. Yeah, well, it's very easy. Just like always, just reach out to me on Facebook, uh, preferably Facebook Messenger. Mm -hmm. And if you have any questions or anything, uh, any way I can help you or contribute to uh, your success, I'd be happy to do so. 
All right. And then for the show itself, the leveluppodcast.com, that takes you out to all the, the blog as well as all the links. Or you can go straight to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, depending on your device. You can subscribe there. You can also grab the video episodes on YouTube because we take all of our Facebook lives and put them up on the Level Up Podcast YouTube channel. So if you're one that would rather sit back, kick back, throw it up on the television and watch, you can certainly do that in all of those places. So Kyle, that was awesome. I think it was super, super yeah. helpful. Not only the stuff that you shared about the, you know, how to really launch a new listing was killer. Um, and then just the, the strategy of thinking through how to get to the next level has been super valuable. So we appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Thanks so much, guys.